Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi. I miss y'all. Welcome back. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Safford. And you are listening to Vibe Check, the real edition with Saeed Jones back in action. We missed you, friend. We I missed you very much. Needed a moment. A lot you was did. going on, but it's yeah. good to be back. Totally, yeah. totally. It's so good to have you. Well, we are so happy to have Saeed back in studio with us because we have a lot of big stuff to talk about this Yeah, week. y'all were like, he's back. Okay, let's go full <laughs> in. Oh, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy. <laughs> I leave and y'all are like, Met Gala, Prince Charles, King Charles. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Now I'm like, wait, what yeah. are we talking yeah, about? This week is work. So this week, <laughs> we are going to talk about... Two uh, pretty serious news topics that I'm sure you've seen in the headlines. First, America's child labor crisis. There's been a lot of extensive reporting for months now on the reality in this country that a lot of kids under 15 are doing a lot of work that they shouldn't be allowed to do. You might have seen the headlines about the two underage employees at a McDonald's recently. This stuff happens all Mm -hmm. across the country. We'll talk about it and talk about what can be done to possibly stop this. And then after that, we will talk about a new study out from the U.S. Surgeon General's office that basically finds that loneliness and social isolation here in America is an epidemic. And they found that loneliness can be as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. We'll talk about that and offer hopefully some suggestions for all of us to work on fighting loneliness because it's real. It's very, very real. Yeah. It's real, but it, it is actionable. You know, yeah. it, it is an intense topic, but maybe it's just like as a writer, which I think I find to be a pretty lonesome mm. enterprise. In a way, I'm excited to talk about it yeah. because, yeah, it's I be think good. it's we can acknowledge it. And I do think there are some things we can do and collectively we can do to, yeah. to yeah. feel more yeah. at home. But before that, I want to talk about how we're doing, how we're feeling. Saeed, we've missed you. So you go first. What's your vibe? Oh, honey. So, you know, it's been a difficult few weeks at home. My dog, Caesar, we had to say goodbye to him a few days ago. And um, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, Zach and Sam have been so supportive. And Nora and Chantel, the whole team here, thank you for giving me the space to feel my feelings privately and just to, to make sense of all of this. I, I wrote a little bit about it on on my Substack that folks can read. People have been very kind. Losing a pet, you know, as I, I've talked about, is kind of that that contract of love. You know, to love mm-hmm. deeply is to to grieve mm-hmm. deeply. I'm certainly not the only person, even today, who's gone through um, this kind of scenario. Right? It's really hard, but um, I loved him so much. We could tell. We yeah, I think, I think energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So I feel that the love and the curiosity and the side eye and everything he brought into my life is still a part of my life as it is a part of his, just in a different way. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I can tell in every photo, he loved you too. He really did. <laughs> he loved me too. <laughs> that dog he loved, loved you. Too. You what gave him a home and he was your home too. So it is yeah. Um, yeah. such a beautiful thing that you shared with all of us, I think. You know, I, I got so many texts when your newsletter came out from folks who just who never met Caesar, but had just looked to Caesar for a laugh, a smile, or whatever mm-hmm. every week in your newsletter when you did share him. So thank yeah. you, Saeed, for sharing him with us. He was such a, a gift to everybody. And I, I guess one thing I, I would share that I think 
might be helpful because it was helpful for me in these last few weeks. I think it is helpful if you're able to do so. Acknowledge for yourself when you're going through the grief and stuff, when you need to be by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some days where I was like, I just at this point need to, I do just need to walk silently through my apartment. I do need to just kind of be in that fog and not feel the need to vocalize what I'm feeling. And then I could feel when the weather changed inside me and I was like, and now this is the time I need to be talking to people. I, I need to go yeah. to dinner with friends. I need to not just be stewing, you know? And I think it's it's helpful, whether it's grief or depression or whatever, sometimes um, I think we can, you know, struggle to make those distinctions. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you modeling that behavior last week. You could have said, I'm going to go to these podcast tapings as an emotional wreck, but you were honest with yourself and you said, I can't do it right now. Yeah. And I think that more people should be honest about their emotions and what they're mm-hmm. going through and be true to yourself. You know, I admire you for being really open about how you're feeling and taking time for you. And more folks should copy that model. Trying. Yeah. 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 Zach, how you doing? I'm good. I'm tired. I was out late last night. What were you doing last night? I was out. She was out and about on a on a weeknight? On a Monday. And I went on a school night. I had to go take part in a little bit of history, which was the Little Mermaid World premiere starring the Halle Bailey live action. It's a really good reason. And the trick and the trick to being out on a school night is not drinking. I didn't drink. You know, I ate some popcorn, I had a diet coke, but I didn't drink. That's like the real trick there. but I was able to be at the world premiere of the film, which stars Halle. Bailey, who's the first black Ariel. And uh, I really, let me say this to you, because I can't get into the details of the movie. I can't, <laughs> well, you can't say if you like it or not. I enjoyed it. I liked it. There, it took Mickey me back. Mouse is standing right behind Zach. I can actually say, I can <laughs> say this. I walked into last night being, I told Craig, I really want to meet Bob Iger. Like, I just really want to meet him. I think he's such an icon and a legend and complicated. He's like Disney things. zaddy though, he's right? Disney People zaddy. are into him. Wait, what? Like, yeah. like is he? No, it is well known in oh. this town that he is a good-looking really? older man. He's very good-looking. Oh. I've what, seen him in the flesh Google once or Bob twice, and I'm like, oh, he's taking oh, care of himself. Bob, Bob Iger is, is daddy. This, That's daddy. I never could have guessed this is where this conversation oh, yeah, was going to go. But proceed while I look him up. This is where it's going. So Bob Iger, daddy, the daddy, Disney daddy, mouse daddy. Okay, I said mouse daddy. I'm looking at a picture. Okay, you proceed. But um, <laughs> I am walking out of the movie up a stairwell to leave to go to the after party. And Craig and I are jokingly like arm in arm being very gay at the Disney premiere. And we look up and who's coming right at us with their security and needs us to stop being so gay is Bob Iger. Uh-huh. Anyway, what I can say about the movie is when you watch this movie, you will be moved to real emotions and tears because Halle Bailey is triumphant in it. She can sing and act at the same time, which most of these girls cannot do. When they start singing, they forget that they're acting. They just go really blank face. Mm. She is moving. She's emoting. And the songs are beautiful with her voice. Way better than ever before. Some of the other music, not as exciting to me. There's new songs. Yeah. This is what I'm thinking when I saw that there are going to be new songs. It's like, why? One of the best Disney soundtracks of all time. I'm glad you asked that because do they give... Halle Bailey new songs because the issue with yeah. The Little Mermaid and if you haven't watched it in a minute hello she doesn't talk for yeah. like 90% of yeah. the movie yeah. right so do they give her more because I was like I want to hear her sing more I do not think she is given more songs she does okay. sing the same song part a of few your times more? because okay. they do like change some of the story in the okay. big in the big part of the story is the mermaids are sirens and this is about a relationship oh. between sirens and people a sailor. so it's about sisterhood and not chasing a man sister Sisterhood, sisterhood's a huge part of it. They but she's still have, chasing a man. 
Yeah, she's still chasing a man. Girl, you're okay. chasing a man. We're all chasing a man. You know? Oh, chase, wait, no, no, let, let me tell you something. He's chasing me. Uh, oh, He's chasing okay. me. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm independently owned. Who amongst uh, us has not chased a man and made bad decisions? So anyway, the movie is, is really wonderful. Melissa McCarthy is a fun time okay. as Ursula. So you will have a great time. It okay. is going to be so successful. It's already tracking to be a huge movie. I enjoyed, it was like a little moment, but I, I saw, video of Melissa McCarthy who plays Ursula bowing on the red carpet before Nina West, the drag mm-hmm. queen from I was with Nina. Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and I just love that because as we know, Ursula like has its roots mm-hmm. in queerness, the drag in queen. drag, right? Yeah. And so I like that Melissa McCarthy is very aware of the history of the character that she played and of course what's going on in this country yeah. right now. It was beautiful. Yeah. Subtle, but I liked it. Anyway, Sam, how are you? I'm Okay. It's just been a really busy season. Earlier, it felt like it was busy with seeing people moving around friends, but that was great busy. Now work is just feeling a little overwhelming. And I'm in this mode that I have to get in sometimes where I tell myself as the day starts, as I make the to-do list, I write it down. Then I say out loud, you will not check everything off this list today. And that's okay. Hmm. I think I'm in this season of understanding that I cannot finish everything. And that's to be expected. So giving myself grace to say, you might have an eternal forever to-do list. It's okay if you don't get everything off of it. So that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm also really just bummed out watching the ongoing coverage of this horrible death in the New York subway You know, of Jordan Ooh. Neely. Yeah. I don't have anything new to add to this conversation besides it is heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking to see this man lose his life. It's heartbreaking to see the way leaders in New York talk about his death and talk about the mentally ill and talk about the unhoused. And it's heartbreaking to think that this guy who choked Jordan out for 15 minutes might get away with it. 15 yeah. minutes. 15, 15 minutes. You know? It's a very... I mean, so that's, that's bringing eternity. me down. That's bringing me yes. down. 15 minutes is an eternity uh, for a moment like that. Yeah, I've, I've been in New York. I'm in New York right now. And um, I'll just say... There always have been a lot of NYPD officers in the I'm subways sure crazy you know, for the last few years. But it is, baby, there are more cops in the subways right now than rats. And we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And, and, and I will be perfectly honest. I don't think those cops are there to help people who look like the three of us or Jordan. I think they are more likely to help people who are former Marines. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. One, shout out to all the protesters in New York who were giving these folks hell. And, and those protests have been loud, you. and I love it. But I think one of the signs that I saw that really spoke to me the most out of New York, somebody wrote, a middle-class white discomfort is not danger. Yep. Yeah. It's not. And I think that in this moment, it would be really important for all of us to think about the ways in which we see someone or something as dangerous when yeah. they're not. This is what it's all about. I mean, we talked about that weeks ago on the show. I think we had that whole conversation about when you find yourself afraid of something in the streets, check in with yourself and ask yourself, what are you afraid of? What is it tied to? Mm -hmm. In this moment, I think we're going to be able to tie the architecture of this man's fear and where where it kind of roots itself and why he decided 15 minutes in a chokehold was deserving. So, um, yeah. Check in with yourself in public. And I think that is such an important thing to underscore. And I guess the other thing I would just say Pay attention to your response to noise. Mm. 
you know, in Columbus, there are a lot of, there's drag racing, but it's like the, the motorcycles, the, I don't even know what they're called, but those like dirt bikes, that they're really oh, loud. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's become an issue. And I don't know, I would just say, pay attention to your response of you're walking by bodega and they're blasting music or, or whatever. And you're like, I'm going to call the cops. You know, like yeah. that. I, I think there's a relationship between noise, gentrification, and police state violence um, mm-hmm. that has a lot to do what's going on, you know, what happened to Jordan Neely. But I also think we're, we're seeing this across our communities. Can I yeah. offer a recommendation on that topic? Mm-hmm. There's a really good essay from last year in The Atlantic that touches on this very thing, whiteness, class, and noise. Mm. It actually was a finalist for a Pulitzer. Those were announced yesterday. This article is called, Why Do Rich People Love Quiet? Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone into this conversation right now should check it out. It's written by Zochi Gonzalez. We'll share in the show notes, but it's a very good read. Okay. It's very good. All right. Well, before we get into the episode, we want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail, reached out to us on social media. We absolutely love reading your messages. We talk about them. You know, there's so much going on in the world that there are a lot of topics we can't get to every week. But that doesn't mean we don't think about them and try to figure out maybe how we can get to them in the future. So we love the emails and the feedback. Keep them coming at VibeCheck at Stitcher.com. All right, friends, let's jump in, shall we? Let's Let's do it. All right. So to start things off today, we're going to dive into what we are going to call a growing crisis that we are all just kind of hearing about. And the reason why we're hearing about this new crisis is that just over the past few months, we've seen some incredible reporting coming out of the Washington Post and the New York Times, all focusing on a really big issue that we all should be paying attention to, which is really young kids are working really dangerous jobs. And when we say young kids, we're talking about kids under 16. And no, they're not, you know, just cashing you out of the movie theater. They're working on construction sites. They're working in factories. They're doing very, very Yeah, can I list just some quick examples? This is from New York Times investigative reporter Hannah Dreyer. She interviewed over 100 migrant children working in 20 states. One example, a 12-year-old girl in Alabama working overnight stamping machine parts. A 12-year-old in Florida who came to the country and the next day was working to put roofing on houses. A 13-year-old child in Michigan working 12-hour shifts at an egg farm six days a week. Mm. It's wild. And a news story that broke out, because I feel like, Said, I'm so glad that you said those, because people aren't focusing a lot on the migrant stories, and we'll get right. into that part of it. Mm-hmm. They're talking a lot about certain you know groups of people. So McDonald's has been in the news because one of the local franchisees is being fined over $200,000 for, for breaking federal child labor laws for employing two 10-year-olds and not paying them either, which is also wild. You're Mm. putting kids to work and not even giving them coins, which doesn't really matter at the end of the day, the coins, because you're exploiting children, but it's just really messed up. But here's a really big number, and we'll we'll dive into this. Uh, The federal government recently confirmed that illegal use of child labor in the U.S. is on the rise, like the Times and the Post have been saying, because in the last fiscal year, over 830 companies employed more than 3,800 children illegally. 3,800. And that's what we know. That's what we know. And we know there's a lot more. Yeah. So the Labor Department, they report that they've seen a 69% increase in minors employed in violation of federal law since 2018. That's a 69% increase. And that's just the stuff that they find and is being reported. Mm-hmm. 
Something I learned while getting ready for today's conversation, and actually I would love it if there are labor experts who listen to the podcast and want to help read us in, but my understanding at least is that even with the federal child labor protections that we have had for years and years and years, they have never actually impacted like field work. Mm-hmm. And so people picking your strawberries and your blueberries and your organic safe carrots and your da 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 like those kids have actually never been protected um, by yeah. federal law, which that that was really shocking to me. Yeah, and I also learned, you know, that these things aren't criminally charged. You know, you think of when it's I think of fines. child labor and exploitation, I think fines. it's just fines. They're not actually criminal issues. They're civil issues. They're seen as business issues, not you actually putting harm. And what's sad is because these kids are being put in real harm. They're breaking fingers, having fingers cut off. Some of them are dying. There was a case in the South the other day where a 15-year-old fell off the roof of something or a high-level platform and uh-huh. died. And it's just really, really wild. And, you know, we aren't seeing them do anything about it because it's currently just become so mirrored in immigration and all these other issues that are happening. But I think for y'all, like with child labor, I never knew this was going to be, I never thought this was going to be an issue as a kid. You know, I began working at 14, 15, and I remember trying to get a job at 13. I applied for a job in my like very nice town and they denied me because they were like, you're too young, come back when you are of age and your parents are there and they can sign off on this. Uh, but I felt really protected. But lately it just feels like these have all disappeared disappeared. What are you all's experiences with this child labor stuff? I started working when I was 14. Um, One of the members of my church growing up, she and her family owned three McDonald's. Our families were close. And she was like, when you're of age, come work at the McDonald's and loved her, trusted her. She was doing a solid for me. But in Texas, if you sign some kind of waiver, either an agricultural waiver or a hardship waiver, you can begin working when you're 14. So my mother signed it. I began working. But, like, I was under the supervision of, like, a church friend. It was only during the summer. And I don't think I ever worked more than, like, 20 or 25 hours a week in the summer, right? And this is why I am so flabbergasted by the conservative argument that this is good for parents. You know, a lot of the framing of the debate for folks who want to get these bills signed that would loosen the regulations around child labor, they say, well, we need to give parents the freedom and choice Mm -hmm. to help have their kids work should they want to, if it works for their family. That's bullshit because that was already the case. Mm -hmm. Parents can already sign off to send their kids to work when they're as young as 14 Mm -hmm. in most of the country. Um, And we'll talk more about it later, but the concerted effort to push bills across the country that would make it even easier for young kids to work It is a concerted effort, and we should question it. Yeah. I'm glad you're pointing this out because, yeah, and it's a misdirect. And and, and I'm glad, Zach, you asked how it's different from, yeah, because I I don't know. I I, I worked my first job. I think I was 14, 15. I think I did lie. I think I was 14. (laughs) I I was actually 14, but I said I was 15 so that I could push carts in the Texas heat for the summer, which was actually like an awful, really unpleasant job. But, you know, I wanted to work. For me, it was was an opportunity to have a, you know, I didn't get an allowance growing up. So it was an opportunity for me to have a little bit of money to, I don't know what I was spending, you you know, rent movies from Blockbuster video. But I think it's interesting the misdirect Republicans and the lobbyists who are working in coordination with Republicans because they're trying to make it sound like the demographic that will be most pointedly impacted are like teenagers. And I think obviously they're talking about white teenagers. Oh, yeah. 
working at your grocery store, like at Trader Joe's, bagging groceries or working at McDonald's at the register. And that's not the case. But I just point, it was interesting. Like there's a Republican politician who I'll probably refer to later where he basically was like talking about this. And he was like, quote, this is less time they will have spending on social media like TikTok and others. And I'm like, no, this is not middle class white teenagers working at Mm -hmm. Trader Joe's. This is a 12-year-old boy who's working 12-hour shifts on an egg farm. And we should point out, it's usually migrant children. So that same reporter that you referenced, Saeed, Hannah Dreyer, she estimates that about 250,000 kids have crossed into the U.S. without their parents in the last two years alone. And she speculates that the majority of those kids end up working full-time jobs. So when we have this conversation about folks working here were too young, it's usually migrants who have no protections and often no family out here. And not just full-time jobs. I mean, full-time jobs and more. They are working these jobs overnight shifts because they are going to school during the day. So you have their their schedules being like 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. at school. Then they maybe get time to go find some food and then they go directly to a factory and work all night. And she was able to find these kids and other reporters are able to find these kids because they go to shift changes at 6 in the morning Mm. and midnight and find young kids. Where there's like less oversight and stuff because it's the middle of the night. Exactly. And these kids, you know, they came here because in the pandemic, in a lot of their countries of origin, they didn't have any resources, no clean water, no food, and they had to flee. And many of them left parents behind who couldn't travel. And when they crossed over, they had family members or strangers or whoever that became their sponsors. And they were hoping to, you know, send some money back by doing some work, but none of them ever expected to be exploited to this level to where they're like literally getting sick and dying. Oh, yeah. Well, and like, We should talk about, at the same time, we're uncovering more and more instances of young kids being forced to work way too hard. We're seeing conservative states across the country push through child labor laws that would make it even easier for kids to work. Right, Zach? Yeah. So right now, what you're seeing is a huge expansion in how children can work in America. So as Sam and Syed have both pointed out, we've always allowed young people to work. Teenagers are a huge block of labor in the United States to keep our economy rolling through. So that's why we have so many jobs at theaters, babysitting, lifeguards. These are crucial for the economy at large. Yeah. But lately, due to the pandemic, Republicans have been using this excuse that due to, you know, remote work, people not wanting to do certain jobs, that they need to expand child laws so that we have a bigger labor force. And what they're expanding them into are jobs that kids should not even be considered doing or what they're doing is leaving a lot of gray zones there. So as you've heard us talk about, a lot of us when we were under 16 had to get parents to sign off on it or a working permit in certain states like Arkansas used to have a working permit if you're underage. Republicans want to erase all of that. So they want to erase all the tracking of children, which allows for them to be exploited in a really big level. Well, and so you see these bills moving through Minnesota, Missouri, Arkansas, Iowa, Ohio, and more. And when you look a little further, they all come from one place. Um, There's a really interesting Washington Post piece that found that most of these child labor bills are coming from the Foundation for Government Accountability. It's a Florida-based think tank and lobbying group. And according to Open Secrets and WAPO, they have 115 lobbyists across the country with a presence in 22 states looking to loosen the rules around child labor. 
And on top of just lobbying for this, they've gone as far as to help lawmakers draft the bills themselves. Mm-hmm. And they have a name for this. The FGA, which has joined the State Policy Network, it's this confederation of conservative state-level think tanks. They call the practice of shopping these bills and making these bills for mass distribution, they call it the IKEA model of advocacy. IKEA, like the furniture store? Yeah, the furniture they make bed. the prefab parts and then every state house can build their furniture with the pieces they've made. For the Whoa. furniture being the law. It's that wild. Sucks. And this model has been applied to trans rights, to education. Right. Like all these things Books. that you're seeing roll through legislatures really quickly, it's because of groups like this and Alec who are really building these uh-huh. to-go yeah. uh, packages. And before they shop them around, before they build the parts for the IKEA furniture bills, they'll focus group this stuff. They figured out how to... Re- message on trans issues after months of focus grouping and survey, you know, collecting to see what would make the most impact. And it ends up with this system where like with all of these things that are hurting people across the country with child labor, with trans rights, with critical race theory, the one through line of the argument for all of these things is parental rights, parental Mm -hmm. rights. They say that because they focus grouped it and it works. Yeah. I I wanted to focus on one of the states, Ohio, obviously, where this is happening. In March, the Ohio State Senate passed SB 30, moving it to the House for consideration. It would extend the hours 14 and 15-year-olds can work during the school year. And um, because, as we know, based on reporting, that migrant youth will be disproportionately impacted by this shift in child labor policy, I wanted to read some that one of the leading advocates for the bills um, said mm-hmm. in uh, Republican State Senator Jerry Serrano said, quote, nobody in this chamber would ever do anything to endanger our children here. Mm. Our children. Our Aha, children. There you that go. Part. I was like, you're absolutely right. It's uh-huh. not going to be little Billy, little Timmy, little Sally, you know, working in these places. It's kids that you know have no one to speak for them. They're already incredibly vulnerable. And, and so the broader thing that I wanted to point out here is I think this crisis— a manufactured crisis. It's not just, it's not It's not like weather, right? Like it, it is something that's being done. There are actors making this happen. It's inherently a problem that children are being endangered, that we're mm-hmm. stealing their education away. But also I want to remind everyone that societies say so much about their direction based on how they treat their most vulnerable populations, their prisoners, their poor, their children. And if these industries, if the Ohio Restaurant Association, which is supporting this child you know, child labor policy change, if they're willing to do this to children, think about what they're doing to the rest of us. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, care yeah. about children, period, but also understand that it's a signifier of broader pushes that are being taken. They're gonna, they're yeah. trying to cut corners in every way they can, which is really scary. Well, and Zach, I heard you just about the question, like, what's up with this whole pitch of like parental rights? Mm-hmm. All of these attacks that we're seeing across the country on trans kids, on teaching history to kids in schools, on child labor. There's this through line of supposed parental rights. I find it quite interesting. 
Yeah. It just feels like this really odd contradiction. And I guess we should end here is that what the Republicans love to do, in my point of view, is they like to publicly posture like they're protecting your home, your house, your family, all these things. But they're using that as kind of a a gaslighting mechanism Mm -hmm. to really destroy families and destroy children. So they get to say, well, we're going to, we are actually doing this to protect our kids and our families. Uh But to Saeed's point, these are just facades to say white people, rich white people, middle class Uh white people, et cetera. And that kids of color, the most oppressed, will be erased because we do not actually see them as American. So we can do with them what we please. And it's just really depressing. And if you really wanted to protect kids and families, you wouldn't be cutting food stamps. You would be expanding healthcare for all. You'd be fighting for free lunches for children. There you go. Free pre-K. Like all of these things. Don't get me started. All this to say, keep your eyes open, folks. And none of this is an accident. This is on purpose. Yeah. And I would say to wrap, do not let the immigration issues that are happening in Congress block your empathy for these kids. A kid is a kid is a kid. We should be protecting kids no matter what their country of origin is. So do not let them gaslight you into dehumanizing 13-year-olds. Yeah. It's also like, you, you think it ends with immigrants? You think this ends with yeah. migrant youth? Yeah. You know, you, you think reproductive justice ends with abortion? No, they're always going to go further once they get what, that's how fascism works. So yeah. yes, we should straight up just care about these kids, but also understand that if you can delude yourself for now and say, well, this isn't really impacting me and my family, oh, it will. Just yeah. wait. Yeah. It will, it will. Well, with that, let's take a quick break. And when we're back, we're talking about loneliness. So stay tuned. All right, we are back and we're going to switch gears to what I'm going to call the Britney Spears segment. Our loneliness (laughs) is killing us. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I was just like, came I'm going to let him ride. Just came to me. I'm going to trust just the process. To me. <laughs> but, when you okay. began that, I did My not know where that was going. And it did land. It landed somewhere, it landed. but it landed. Listen, listen. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> let's talk about loneliness. This is a thing that we all have dealt with at some point in our lives, especially these last few years during pandemic. But there's a study out now saying that loneliness isn't just a problem. It's basically an epidemic. Y'all probably saw the headlines last week. Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General, he put out this 80-something page study all about loneliness and isolation. And the biggest factoid in this study was that social isolation has as negative an effect on mortality as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. This study also said that loneliness and social isolation lead to a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. I mean, can we pause? 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah. I mean, I'm not around a lot of smokers, but I just think that is such a, like, vivid, alarming image, right? Like, if if one of you, if one of my beloved friends, if I saw you smoking 15 cigarettes a day, I'd, it would, you I would, would have intervene. to say, we would do something immediately. And just, yeah. in, in for context of that, it's 20 cigarettes in a pack. So almost a full, almost wow. a full pack. But this is the thing. We'll see a friend chain smoking and intervene. We'll see a lonely friend. Do we intervene? Right. Right. And it is epidemic proportions here in the U.S. All the data suggests that loneliness and social isolation is getting worse and worse and worse. I want to quote a piece from Vox just to give some detail before we jump in. But they wrote, quote, 
In the 1970s, almost half of Americans said they could generally trust other people. Today, less than a third say the same. The amount of time that Americans say they spend alone every day had risen by nearly 30 minutes from 2003 to 2019, and it increased even 20 minutes more in the first year of the pandemic. That means that many Americans added an additional full day of solitude over the course of a month. Right now, half of the country says they have three or fewer close friends. And just 16% of Americans say they feel very attached to their local community. Got to start by asking, these findings, this study, does any of it surprise y'all? No. No. God, no. Mm. I live in LA. I think LA is the loneliest city in the world. It is. I've always said. When I moved here, I moved from Chicago. And I felt sick after a few months from the lack of touch. And when I mean touch, it's not like mm-hmm. I went to work, I did all these things. But I, in Chicago, I was so in community constantly. I had to walk down the street. I walked past people. Mm-hmm. I shared trains. I was also in college recently. Like I was just like touching and around people a lot. When I got here, I would wake up in my apartment alone. I'd get in my car and drive in traffic alone. And I would sit in my office alone. And that feels really applicable to everyone in the world actually now as we live in a digital world where you're so close to everyone, but you can't actually touch mm-hmm. them or be with them. So you have this kind of anxiety of, I know so many people, I follow a thousand people on social media, but why do I actually not feel like I know anybody? And I feel like due to this hyper-connectivity we have in the world, this this is making us feel even more lonely because we feel like the, the weight of what could be and we just can't reach that could mm-hmm. be in real time. Yeah, I'm not surprised I think this has been a building issue or at least building in its visibility for the last few years and then the pandemic happened. So I think obviously it's one exacerbated it to a certain extent, but also I think gotten a lot of people to look into it. But I'm also not surprised because I <laughs> I decided to look up like the history of the word loneliness. Oh, look at this and its poet. Usage. I love it. And shocker, loneliness comes into common usage around the year 1800 in Hmm. English-speaking countries. And that's interesting because the Industrial Revolution is basically 1760 to 1840. Mm. Um, And so loneliness comes in, and and Jill Lepore says that loneliness, quote, is a vogue term, and like all vogue terms, is a cover for all sorts of things most people would rather not name and have no idea to fix. And so I just think, and you know, and, and everything like Zach just said, like, notice like technology, modernity, you're in your car, you're on your phone, digital, da-da-da-da, you go to work, we're on Zoom. I think loneliness, as we're talking about it, is is very much connected to modern life, to Western American life. And uh, yeah, here we are. Here we are dealing with the fallout of it. I want to talk a bit with y'all about some of the causes, because at this point, It's very documented. I'm going to go back to quoting Vox. They kind of get into the causes of this. One, people are less likely to get married and they're having fewer children. Two, a lot of Americans are less likely to belong to some church or some religious group. And then more and more people are living alone. The percentage of households that comprise a single person living by themselves has doubled from 1960 to 2022. And, and this is the big one that's become a real threat to a lot of us the last decade or so, people who spend more than two hours a day on social media report feeling more isolated than other people do. So there's all of these 
factors here. And all of this also is exacerbated by being a racial minority, by being queer, by having lower income. But I'm wondering which of these causes is actually the easiest to overcome. I don't think I ever want to tell people you need to not live alone to not be lonely. But can we say maybe use your phone less? Can we say maybe if you're into church, go back to church? Like which of these factors feels like it's the most tackleable? I think, and looking into what other experts have said, one, I think it's important to acknowledge as you feel lonely. And and mm-hmm. I, I really like that Zach pointed out that you can be surrounded by people, engaging people on a regular basis. You can be talking to people all day long, basically, on your phone or in person, and still feel lonely. Uh, UCLA, some doctors there created a loneliness scale. And I just wanted to point out just some of the statements they asked us to ask ourselves. I have nobody to talk to. I feel as if nobody really understands me. Mm. I feel isolated from others. I am no longer close to anyone. So I think the first important step is acknowledging, you know, it's not necessarily, oh, well, I was just at happy with uh, happy hour with my coworkers last night, or I was just at a church. You know, it's also like, well, how did you feel? I think the question is like, do you feel at home mm. in your daily mm. life? Or do you feel othered? in your daily mm-hmm. life? Do you feel like you're constantly striving to bridge your gap between yourself and the people around you? And if that's the case, I think the first thing I would tell someone is to pick up the phone and call someone who you smile at the thought of. Mm. And it's okay if you haven't spoken to them in a long time. It's okay if it's a cousin that you haven't seen in two family reunions or a college friend or someone, but who, when you just think of like, oh yeah, that roommate from, just pick up the phone and call them. And and I think it's like the small effort, you know, in the same way, like with depression or anxiety, my therapist will be like, get out and go for a walk for 15 minutes. That small gesture is the beginning of that shift. Yeah, and I, to build on that, you know, as someone that is chronically busy and around a lot of people all the time. You're the busiest man I, I know. You are. <laughs> Same. Thank, thank Literally. You. Thank you. Yeah. Curtsy. I would say that at my busiest, I feel my loneliest when yeah. I am around a ton of people all the time, moving, flying constantly, and I just feel so lonely. And it's because I'm not really embodied. I'm kind of an autopilot. I'm not very present. I'm not around people I actually care about that I want to connect with. And I also don't feel like I'm being seen as my myself. Like I, re- I remember one of the first arguments I got in with, with my boyfriend when we first started seeing each other is when the pandemic hit, he, he said to me, do you miss your old life where you were always flying and going to events? doing everything. And I said, no, I'm actually happier right now in the pandemic with him because I felt like I woke up every day and there was someone in my life that saw me mm. and heard me and could like keep up with me. I could keep up with myself. I wasn't disassociating, losing myself. And I think to what Saeed's point is making is that loneliness can't be solved by just busying yourself, being around a lot of people. You need to be around people that actually see you, that you feel your shoulders drop around, mm-hmm. that you feel yourself relaxed with, that you feel you can actually say what you actually are feeling to, because that will that will be the real solve. Being around people you don't like will only make you feel worse at the end of the day. Well, that's yeah. the part. And, and I kind of want to go back to this list of the causes that I ran through. I think the one cause of loneliness that is the most pernicious and can be the hardest to shake is the influence of our smartphones and social media. Mm -hmm. So the data says actually that people who spend two hours a day on social media or more are more prone to feel lonely than other folks. And it's this conundrum because when you're on social media, you think you're talking to a lot of your friends, right? You think Mm -hmm. you're engaging with actual people. It's just not the same. 
Yeah. It's not the same. And I've had to make a very concerted effort in my own life to put the phone down, put the social media down and say to myself, the only actual cure for a certain kind of loneliness is to be in physical proximity with other people. And yeah. social media often cannot duplicate that. And I don't want to ever tell someone, don't use a thing that brings you community. If you are disabled, mm -hmm. if you are shut in, if you're going through something, that might be your only lifeline. But I think for a lot of people, we allow the performance of community on social media to replace the beneficial effects of real community. And that's been the biggest challenge for me. And I think the bomb for loneliness, it can be very subtle. You know, just two examples that come to mind. I remember the last time I was living in New York and was just really struggling. And again, I was I was living the media person's dream and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't having those meaningful interactions. And I just remember once going to a CVS. I was already having a rough day. I went to a CVS and I intentionally went to the cashier, not to the self-checkout, because I wanted to interact with the person. And I just remember remember the person scanning all of my stuff and they didn't look up once. And it just made me so sad because it wasn't this person at the register spurning me. I was like, look at us, two lonely people mm -hmm. right next to each other, you know? And then another example, um, I think this was like spring, summer 2021. I took a lift. I had to run some random errand and an older black woman was my lift driver. And she just reminded me so many of you know, the women I grew up with, the women who have raised me and that I love so much and that I missed a lot in particular during the pandemic. And we just talked and complained about bad drivers and, you know, and the city not cleaning up the snow and da-da-da-da-da and, it, you know, whatever. And I got out, I was like, okay, have a good day, you know, Miss Brenda or whatever. And, and I walked into my apartment and I burst into tears of oh. joy because it was such a lovely five-minute conversation with a stranger. And it had been so long since I'd had one of those, like, person like you're saying sam like yeah. it's just not the same it's not well and those connections they actually help fight loneliness and there are other moments in my life where i'm really really lonely where i have to reach out to someone and say i'm lonely can i just talk with you can i just be with you yeah. and i think this is mm. often the challenge in solving a problem like loneliness mm -hmm. there's so many problems we face where we think that we can solve it ourselves if i don't right. have enough money i can work harder and get more money if i don't uh, look the right way i can work mm -hmm. harder and then look better if you're lonely, it's a problem you can't solve on your own. And yeah. so to admit that and ask for help to solve that problem requires us to let go of some ego and to say to ourselves yeah. and to others, I can't fix this one myself. And that can be yeah. hard. Something that happened to me the other day that has been on my mind and I've wanted to share on the show because I think everyone should try it is a friend of mine who I don't get to speak to often because we're both very busy, texts me and said, do you have eight minutes this week? Just eight minutes, I want to catch up. And I guess there was an article oh. in the Times months and months ago that said, if you're very busy, feel like you're not connecting with people, find someone that you haven't spoken to in a while and schedule eight minutes with them. That's it. And I said yes. And I didn't want to say yes. And he listens to the show, George, we love you. And I hey, did George. it. And it was the most Hi, amazing eight, maybe 10 minutes because we jumped right in. What's going on? What are the highlights? And mm -hmm. I have been trying to do that more with people where it's like, okay, let me just find eight minutes of quality time with someone. And like, it can go on after that if you'd like, but just be intentional and try to yeah. search for people and you can find a way out. To vibe with that, another solution I found that was really interesting and I'm going to try to do it because I don't do this. It said, you're busy. 
someone calls you and you're like, I don't have time right now, you know, my impulse would be, I, I'm not going to reply and then I'll text them later. It said, it would be more valuable for you to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm about to run into recording vibe check. What's up? It's good to hear your voice, but I got to go, baby. That quick mm-hmm. interaction, that's what, 15 mm-hmm. seconds is more valuable yeah. mm-hmm. than putting off and whatever. And I, I don't know, that's that's a, a shift. I will say to close this segment, I think as we all tend to our mental health and our emotional health in some truly trying times. One thing that's always helpful for me in moving forward is naming things specifically. You can say that you're lonely. Naming your loneliness, naming your emotions, that's the first way to start to try to fix these things. I think a lot of times, men especially, will use any other word besides the actual thing that they're feeling. We call everything anger. If you're lonely, say you're lonely. Tell your people that you're lonely. You can only fix these things once you name them. We got to be honest with ourselves about who we are and the things that we're dealing with. Going through everything in the last few weeks with Caesar, it was just really hard. As I think it's fair to say I'm good at talking about my feelings and all this, but it was it was just really difficult. And I had to sit down and do the basics of sit down with a legal pad and a pen and write like I'm scared, anxious, devastated. Mm-hmm. And then I would just follow up with why. And then I'm scared, anxious because of the you know, and just you can do that for yourself. It doesn't necessarily require you to like yeah. directly go to someone and just like spill yeah. out all your emotions. In yeah. your own privacy, you can totally. begin to do this work. Yeah. Listeners, we could talk about this for hours. Tell us how you deal with loneliness, how you fight it. Tell us what's working for you, what's not working for you. Send us follow-up questions about loneliness. We'll probably talk about that topic again on this show because there Mm -hmm. is a lot to talk about. All right, with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, our recommendations. Okay, my loves, we are back. And before we end the show, we like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right this week. Uh, Sam, you want to go first? Yes, I'm pulling up the article right now. And I think it's really timely for all of our listeners who are thinking about loneliness and possibly also thinking about the new Little Mermaid. I have a series of essays, poems, book chapters that I go back to and I call them my modern scriptures. Ooh, I like they that. are often secular writings that just like bring me positivity and warmth. And I look to them like a warm blanket on a cold day. I, love that. I want to recommend one of my modern scriptures right now. It is a profile of Melissa McCarthy written by Taffy Broadiser Ackner in the New York Times oh, back in 2018. Um, I thought of this hearing Zach speak about the new little mermaid because Melissa's in it. But this essay, this profile is called This Melissa McCarthy Story Just Might Maybe Possibly Cheer You Up. Mm. And it does. I love celebrity profiles, but there's something that happens around the last third of this one that makes you feel grateful to be alive. And then you start weeping tears of joy. I oh, can't no. overstate how good this essay will make you feel. This I need profile to will make you it. feel. I remember when it came, I, and I really like Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. She makes me smile. Hey, Taffy's great. She wrote the book that inspired Feistman's in Trouble. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The show on Hulu. Yeah. If you like good writing, if you like Melissa McCarthy, if you like Taffy, if you like your day to be brightened by reading a good 
profile of a celebrity. Read this, read this, read this. It's so good. I also like this this idea of your modern scripture. So I used to, it's been a minute since I've done this, but yeah, I used to print off poems, interviews, articles. Sometimes I would copy a picture. This is really when I like had access to a university printer, Xerox machine. Um, but you know, like a, a cool photo in a magazine and I would make like a little binder um, mm-hmm. And just have that for myself oh, yeah. and just like have. inspiration and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's a, yeah. Don't get the big head, Saeed, but a few of your poems are modern scriptures for me. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I got them filed away, baby. Oh, Anywho, gosh. we'll share the link for this profile. It's so, so good. Okay. Yeah. All right. My recommendation, you know, it's been, it's been as, as I said, um, a, a rough few weeks. Like, there's there are times when you're, like, running around and running around and, you know, your your eyes are red with tears. And, and then there are times where you just have to sit and wait and see how it goes or whatever. So my recommendation is a video game called Witchwood. It's witch spelled W-Y-T-C-H. It's this beautiful, simple illustrated video game is very calm and you play a very old tired witch who's just going around the woods and the swamps and the graveyards collecting herbs and plants and mushrooms to make spells it's very simple but it's so beautiful and you're like oh i need to go collect water oh i need to go find this specific type of mushroom or frog you know and it's just very simple and like which system is it on is it a phone thing Um, i played it on ps5 but i think you can play it on your phone as well yeah it's very simple if you're looking for a game that's just like you just want to be calm simple little tasks um and the magic is fun you mix this you mix that you know you're going to find fairies so so you can collect pixie dust you know it's pretty cool uh-huh. and, and mind you you're all doing it at the bidden of of an evil goat that's probably the devil a goat. so you know there's that goat. Uh, you know i'm always going to give you a little goth girl <laughs> yeah very bad <laughs> well th- that was my that made me feel good this week um Zach, what's your recommendation <laughs> um mine is not the devil you know not a witch and it is this book called We See Each Other. Yes. That is out today by Travel Anderson with a foreword from Angelica Ross. Claps for Travel, our friend. Travel's a friend of all of ours. They're uh, the sister podcast, Fanti. They host that. They also host What a Day. What a Day. Uh, we used to be journalists together at Out Magazine and The Advocate. We've just known each other all for, all of us have known each other for a long time, but this is their first book. And it is a memoir mixed with a historical telling of trans people in film and television. Oh, love it. Which is just amazing to kind of see Travel place themselves within the texts and to tell the story of the world, but also how they fit into the world too through film. I love that. And it just feels like a good moment to point out this in a moment of which trans people are just, and non-binary people are under such critical attacks. I mean, whether it's, you know, Senator Zoe Zephyr, you know, being Ooh. blocked mm-hmm. in the legislature mm-hmm. of Montana, who's dealing with that. She also has found her own joy by getting engaged this past week. So oh, congratulations. Her, sorry, but, which is amazing. But I think with every time we talk about, this is like your test. Whenever you talk about something bad happening to trans people, find something good or support a trans mm-hmm. person where you can. And so mm-hmm. this week, if you're overwhelmed with everything happening, buy Travel's book, send it to the New York Times top 10 and do some good in the world. I yeah. thought you were going to say just send it to the New York Times because they need to read that it. Too. Yeah. I mean, that but too. I also would love to see uh, <laughs> Travel's yeah. book on the New York Times bestseller list. But I was like, no, literally mail it to the headquarters. Mail it. Like, <laughs> New York. They really do. They need some help. Throw it at the nearest New York Times editor. 
All right, we'll leave it there for now. I, I am very trans joy and, and Trayvill's work. I'm excited to read that book. We see each other. I love a that. black trans journey through TV and film. I love by Trayvill Anderson. And check All out right. the Fanti podcast. Yeah, their podcast is great. I love it. All right, friends. Well, what are you feeling or not feeling this week? What's your vibe? Check in with us at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure you blackmail one of your friends into downloading it immediately and giving it five stars on at least two apps. And if they don't, anti-black. Wow. I always wonder if people make it to the credits, you know, and now I'm like, let's get We're going to find out. We're going to find out. (laughs) Let's up the ante even more. Send us a voice memo of you cajoling a friend into subscribing to this podcast. Come on. Let us hear it out in the wild. Yes. Yes. On that note, huge (laughs) thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, engineer, Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. We want to hear from you as always. So don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at at Zach at The Ferocity and at Sam Sanders. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod to be in the conversation. I love when people use it. I check it all the time. It's wonderful. All right, well, stay tuned for another episode next week. Bye. 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 Stitcher.